15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may not, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as some... Um, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. Good morning. My name is Will Turner. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And uh, I'm kind of split this morning. I was worshiping and I was sitting there thinking about Romans as we've been in uh, for the last four weeks. And if you're new, we've been four weeks in Romans and we are just now on verse eight. And uh, part of me is like, and this is the childlike part that's like, oh man, I just want to go. There's so much good stuff to get to. And then the other part of me is like, or... We could just go verse by verse until I die. <laughs> um, Romans is so rich and it's so wonderful and it's so good and I'm so thankful for it. And I'm excited about uh, the word this morning. Uh, Paul is introing himself still to the Roman church, which he has not been able to visit up to this point. And in this letter, he's trying to leave a good first impression, build rapport. Since he's not actually met them face to face, you have to remember just a few years earlier, Paul is later into his ministry at this point, but the but word doesn't travel back then like it does today. Like Paul was a Pharisee persecuting the church, killing Christians and pretty good at it. And he has a massive conversion, goes years uh, with kind of underground resurfaces as this church planner, mission, missionary, and he's spreading the gospel all over to the known world. The church in Rome would have heard about Paul at this point, but you have to remember he hasn't been there yet. So we just like, you hear about somebody, but you're just not sure. And it's not like they had Twitter or the internet or anything like that to be able to be like, so let's check in on Paul. Uh, you know, I mean, it could have been, I don't know why this came to me. It could have been like Kanye when we heard he was a Christian and then it's like, it's great. And then you're like, let's keep up with them. And we don't know, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, I, they don't know Paul and Paul's trying to get to know them. He's trying to build rapport. He's trying to have a first impression. And if you're like me, like I actually love first impressions. But most of you, and I know a lot of you love to hate first impressions. They can be awkward and small talky. And I just know like a letter would be really helpful. I, I was at a baby shower just this last year and I didn't know any of these people. Uh, these are, you know, this is a friend from college's baby shower and I saw them at his wedding and now I'm seeing them again at the baby shower and I probably will never see them again. Nevertheless, I want to leave a good first, second, first impression, whatever. And I'm trying to have a conversation and there's these people who are in completely different seasons of life and from very different uh, worldviews and circles. And we're sitting around a table and we're talking and these pregnant mothers are talking about how they just are forgetting things all the time. And they are, you know, just, we're so forgetful and we're so tired and all these things. And I can't believe I just, I can't keep my calendar straight. And they just don't seem to know why. And I, I don't know, there's just something in me that like sees the obvious answer and 
should just be quiet, but can't. Um, and I was like, you know, there is a thing called pregnancy brain. And which is true, you know, my wife would attest to it, like many of my friends who've had children can attest to it, but that's probably not what they needed or wanted to hear and gave me looks that proved that. And uh, I was like, oh, and in those moments you have options, right? You can just shut up and let it go. Or like you press in and be like, oh, but it is a thing. Like, you know this, right? And unfortunately that is the route that I fall into more than I should. So I just didn't leave the best first impression. I wanted to just be like, you know what? I went away like disappointed with myself and thinking like, I wish I could have just handed them a letter and been like, this is me. This is actually what I want you to know about me, what I care most about in the world and what is important to you. And maybe that's just what Paul's doing here in this text. He just wants them to know this is what I'm all about, what I'm most excited about. And when I get there, hopefully one day, God willing, you'll get to know who I truly am and what I care about. And so Paul is building rapport to these people. He wants for them to know more than anything that he is completely driven by God's good news. He is completely driven by God's good news, the gospel. It's the most important thing to Paul in the whole world. And despite what they've heard or what they know, like he wants it to be abundantly clear. This is why I am doing what I'm doing. It's why I'm here. And he does it with so much zeal and eagerness because he knows how good the gospel is. He knows what it's like to be dead and be brought to life. And he wants to express that to the church in Rome. He wants to show them like concern that he has for them and how how, it for, how the gospel will forever change them. And so he's writing this letter. And in this passage, verses 8 through 15, he's laying out, this is what I'm all about. This is what I'm all about. So let's pray and then jump into the scripture. Almighty God, grant us sight as you shine on us by your word. Keep us from blindness and prevent us from willfully seeking darkness, thus lulling our minds to sleep. But Lord, let your word awaken us as we stir ourselves up more and more to fear your name and devote all of ourselves to you as living sacrifices. Lord, rule and dwell with us now and until you gather us all one day in heaven. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so you're going to notice Paul's eagerness, his zeal, his excitement, and, and you're going to notice it specifically about three things, and we're going to walk through these three things as we go through the passage. One, Paul is overcome with excitement about communion with the living God. He's so excited, and he wants them to know, like, I am with the Lord in his presence. I love the Lord, and communion with him is crucial. He is also excited about connecting with them and mutual blessing, connection and blessing. And the third thing he's excited about is continuing in God's mission to preach the gospel to everyone. And you're going to see as he writes this intro, how that plays out. So first, <clears throat> verse eight, he, he begins, he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Again, Paul has not been here. He's known in the world. He, he wants them to know that he is eager and caring and, and wants to know that like, hey, I, I know that you're doing a good job. Like your faith is known everywhere in the known world. It's almost like I just get this picture of like a, 
If, if a former like chief would be riding to the current chief's team right now with all of like their current accolades and man, it's like, man, I just want you to know, like I've heard of your success in all the world and I wish I could be with you. Like that level of eagerness is like, I wish I was still playing so I could be on this team and be with you. Like this is where Paul is at as he looks at the faith of the church of Rome. He is eager to be with them. He's heard of their faith. He's excited for them. And he says and begins the, the, with this section with the word first first. And it's not like he's about to just lay out a list of first church in Rome. I would like you to fix this, this, and this. Like when he says first here, it's because he, he wants them to know this is the most important thing I'm about to say. First, I thank God through Jesus for all of you. He wants it to be understood that communion with the Lord and thanksgiving is, and prayer is the most urgent piece of this text. It is the word pros, pro, right? One, he, it is the most important thing he wants them to know that he is communing with God for, on their behalf. There's a lot else to notice here. Paul's apostleship and authority is directly derived, not from his own capability, right? Paul was a Pharisee. He was the best Pharisee. He was super smart and he has all of that authority that was backing him, but he counted it as nothing, right? He, he, he was driven to dust, blinded for a few days until the Lord healed his sight, saved him. And now he's a missionary and he knows that his authority as an apostle is not derived from his own good, but from what Jesus did for him. And in that place, he says like, I thank God through Jesus because Paul knows if it weren't for God through Jesus, he wouldn't be praying for this church. He would be persecuting them. He knows that in the depths of his soul. I'm so thankful to God for your faith that is being pronounced over the known world. And Paul also knows the effectiveness of the gospel when God completely transforms the cultural center of the known world, Rome. Rome was not pro-Christian right now. It was not pro-Christian, but he knows that the church in Rome is thriving. It is thriving and growing and he wants to be with them. He wants to be with them and, and because he can, he wants them to know that he's praying for them, that he's thankful for them, that he's thanking God nonstop about the church in Rome. And he knows without God's presence, they wouldn't even be where they are today that God is present with him and being able to be transformed and he's present with the church in Rome for them being able to tra be transformed. It's, it is communion with God that is causing the thriving of the church in Rome and in Paul's own heart. And so he's eager for them to know, to keep being in communion with God and I'm gonna keep being thankful for you and praying for you that it would continue, that the presence of God would not depart from you, but you would live and walk in the spirit of God, be close with him. He's eager for that communion. He goes on in verse nine, he says, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. He, he wants to be with them. He's praying for them. He knows what God has done in his own heart. And he's spending time on his knees for these people so that they would continue in their faith. And I just like for a moment, I, I don't wanna like just take that for granted. Like I want us to reflect and think like, can you imagine what the people in our circles of influence would think or say 
I just had this moment this week where I was like, what if like those people who we encounter, the people of King's Cross, the family of King's Cross encounter, and they're like, I don't know what's going on with those people, but I sure do know that they love praying for me. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're the way that they are, but you know what? Those people pray for me all the time and they let me know it. Like, can you imagine the lost people that you encounter knowing about you? I don't believe what they believe. I'm pretty skeptical about how they live their life. I'm pretty skeptical about this whole church thing. But you know what I do know? They really love my family well and they pray for me all the time. It's pretty transforming. I love and desire for that. Pastor Tony Merida says, proud people do not give thanks, but humble, grace-filled people say thank you frequently. We must be humble and thankful, which by the way, has thankfulness not come up so much, not just in Romans, but in Colossians and in Advent. Thankfulness is just this thing that I think the Lord is like blanketing on our church right now. And I want us to see it. Like, are we a thankful people? Are we humble enough to say like, God is doing everything and all the, the good that I have is from him. And that excites Paul. It excites Paul beyond reason because it has saved his life. And Paul doesn't, isn't just satisfied with being saved. He wants more. He's like, I want more of this. I want more communion with God. I want more of Jesus. And he's also in this text giving a nod to God's authority. He knows that he wants his own desire is to be in Rome. And thus far he has, in his own words, been prevented from going there. And he knows, he says, if God wills, I will be with you. Scholars are not 100%, 100% sure of why Paul hasn't got to Rome. Is it because he's dealing with the Corinthians who are a complete mess? If you guys know the backstory there, we've got like all kinds of weird in-law, like intimacy issues going on. It's, it's bonkers. So it's like, is Paul dealing with that? Like, is he dealing with helping other churches along the way, get other church planters firmed up? Or similar in Acts 16, is the spirit literally preventing him from going to Rome? We don't know, but he's not been there yet. He knows he won't be able to go there until God says, Paul, go to Rome, go to Rome. But he wants to, and he expresses his desire to go. God gets his way and is always in control is what Paul's saying. What God's decision is, is the right decision. And I wanna go to Rome. Wish I could be there with you. It's an awesome way to view God's sovereignty and our desires and our hearts as they align with the spirit of God. So he's excited about communion with God, his communion, their communion, all of that. And then not only is he excited about that, but he's also eager and has much zeal for the mutual encouragement and blessing and connection with the brothers and sisters that he knows he'll get when he gets there. He says in verse 11, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is bringing some spiritual gift, whether that be his prophetic gift, his teaching, his encouragement, or something else. We know that Paul is pumped to be there for this reason, for the exchanging of spiritual gifts and blessing and encouragement. He is excited to be a part of a faithful church where he knows not only am I going to show up and preach a good word and get, and people are going to be saved by the spirit. Like when I preach the good news of the gospel, but I'm also going to receive blessing and encouragement and the gifts of the people and the body of Christ working together. I'm gonna to receive that and I expect amazing blessing. And he is pumped for that. He's so excited. Of course, he was eager. He's been dealing with all these other churches that are struggling and having hard times and some that are full of sin. 
can you imagine like dealing with that and then seeing Rome, this faithful place where like the gospel, not that it didn't have its problems, right? We know no church is perfect, but like he sees it as this place that he's excited to be at and that he could go there and receive encouragement and blessing as he's been pouring himself out so much. And he knows without a doubt, as he's written in other letters, that the body of Christ is so imperative that his gift alone is not what the church needs to grow, but everyone's gift working together must be contributed. We need each other. And, and Paul understood this. He knows that he doesn't have all that it takes to make a church healthy and good and get the church plant started. He knows all the gifts are needed and pr- to be present. And John understood this too. If you look at 1 John 1, he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Joy is complete when fellowship is with the Father and one another in Christ. With the Father and with one another. So Paul's excited for communion with God. He's excited for communion with God's people as well. Connection with God, connection with God's people is his desire. Kent Hughes says this when he says, Paul knew that very few things will strengthen an older believer's faith than the vibrant faith of a new believer. And on the flip side, there is little that will benefit a new believer more than the exposure to the mature faith of a more experienced brother and sister in Christ. Like Paul knows that. He knows that I want to get around some young new believers that are passionate about their faith and they can stir me up the places in me like where my spirit is lulled to sleep. Like I just need someone with passionate faith to like, I can see it and I can see what God's doing and it excites me. And he also knows like I'm experienced. I'm an apostle. I've walked with the Lord for a long time. I've experienced much suffering, which is a massive key to sanctification. And I can help these new believers as they learn and, and, and start to discern which ways to go. He knows that is a massive benefit in the church and he can't wait to get there. Don't miss the concepts that are subtle here, but they are the core values of the church being revealed. So if you remember at King's Cross, we have core values, right? Worship, community, mission. And these core values aren't just things that like the leadership team and staff and elders were like, you know what, this sounds really good in today's world. We should say that worship community and mission are the values of the church. No, like biblically, they are what the church cares about most. It is what the church cares about most. Communion with God, worship connection, the mutual uh, blessing and the mutual exchanging of gifts inside the body of Christ, that is community. And then he continues on the need to extend and continue God's mission to spread the gospel to all people in verse 13. Listen to what he says, mission. I do not want you to be unaware brothers that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as the, uh, the rest of the Gentiles. I'm, I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Man, I love how many times he uses the word eager. I'm eager to show you this thing. And I can relate to this. If you've been around me for any time at all, you know, like this is probably the shadow side of like my wiring, but I love it. It's hard. Like anytime I love something, whether it be food, music, whatever, you name it. If I love it, I want you to experience it with me. Kayla often checks me when we have guests over and I'm like, oh, oh, you got to see this. She's like, oh, time for show and tell. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. But like, 
man, what if, I, what if I was always that excited and eager to share the gospel? What if we were that eager and excited to impart worship community and mission to the world around us? That's what Paul's eager for. He's like, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And I want you to notice that he could have played an easy card here and just ended with, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you in Rome, but his encouragement is that the good news isn't just for the Jews in Rome or the Gentiles in Rome. It's for all the people in Rome. He says the Jews, the Gentiles, the barbarians, the Greeks, which if, if you wouldn't know what's going on here, it's, it's massive. Like remember the context of the church. The Jews were exiled from Rome for a season. The, the, the Gentiles took over the church and did it for a while. The Jews come back and they're like, whoa, what have you done to the church? And they're trying to like, we're trying to find some unity here. But on, the, and Paul doesn't even go with that context. He goes even further. He says to the wise, the Greek, the intellectual, right? Like the smart, the Greek, they, they had the Socratic method of like debate. Like these are intelligent people. And and the barbarian, which by the way, enemies of Rome, foolish, right? The barbarian tribes, which would eventually cause Rome's demise. The gospels for them too. The wise, the foolish, the Greek, the Gentile. Listen to what Professor Schreiner says. He says both initial evangelism and the strengthening of believers is in Paul's mind. The gospel is for both evangelism of unbelievers and edification of believers. Obviously, unbelievers need the gospel. For as Romans 1, 8 through 3, 20 will explain, they are guilty before a holy God and only through Jesus can they be saved. But believers also need the gospel. We need a better understanding of various doctrines. We need to apply them in our lives and we need to be reminded of our fundamental identity as well as the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. The message is, all, is for all in Rome. It's not just for these people that have no idea what's going on and for the people who have been in church for a while and feel like they've got it figured out. It's for all. And don't mishear the word obligation and think of it as like, hey, I've got to preach the message to these people too. I really want to be with these people, but I've got to do it to these people. That's not at all what Paul is saying. Here's how we need to be thinking about obligation. And I want this to like carry out with us today. Tim Keller says this, if I borrowed $100 from you, I would be indebted to you until I paid it back, right? We can agree on that. But then he says, but if you gave me $100 to pass on to someone else, it is my obligation and I am indebted to you until I pass that $100 on to someone else. We as Christians have inherited the riches of heaven. It has been given to you and will be given to you in eternity. All that you have is yours through God, through Jesus. From God, through Jesus, as Paul says several times in this intro. All that he has been given, all that we have been given is from God, through Jesus Christ. And it is our spiritual and physical obligation to take that inheritance and pass it on as we go. It is our obligation to pass that on until we pass from this world into eternity. That's what the Great Commission is. It is your obligation. You have been given a gift and called to go and share with all peoples 
You've been given this gift, not to hold it for yourself, right? The, the spiritual gifts that you have been given, Paul says in so many other places, Corinthians, you can read Romans later, like these gifts have been given not for your own good, but for the good of sharing them with others. Go pour yourselves out for those around you, this debt that you've been given. He knows he's been given the riches of heaven, that Paul was headed for death and destruction as he was persecuting Christians and murdering them in their beds. He knows how bad he was. He knows the depths of his sin. He knows how broken he truly was. And he knows he does not deserve sanctification. He knows he does not deserve paradise with God one day. And he has received it out of the mercy and goodness and grace of God. And he knows that his job is to pass that message on. I am obligated to tell everyone about what God has done in me because I didn't deserve it. I know you don't either. And it's so good. It's the best news you will ever hear. And that's why he's excited because an undeserving man received unmerited favor and grace and blessing and not just salvation from hell, but more. The church is a massive blessing to us. Let's not take it for granted. The people in this room, like the fact that God saved you is a massive gift. The fact that God saved you and put you into this family that we say this all the time would not work together without the blood of Jesus over us. But we have this family bound together under the banner of Jesus Christ, robed in righteousness, and we are a family. That's a huge gift. And there's even more. Not only are we given this huge gift to commune with God as high priest and to have connection with one another, but we have a mission together as a family to go tell more people and add to the family as God works through us. He could have just taken us up the moment we were saved, but he didn't because there is more glory for himself to be had in our work on this earth as his missionaries to the world, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. If you're a Christian, Paul's reality is your reality. Is your reality. You were a sinner saved by grace, by God, through Jesus. Now you are a saint who has gifts to offer and those gifts were given to you by God through Jesus Christ. And you are a sent one, an apostle, lowercase a, to go and spread the good news to everyone by God through Jesus Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit that fuels us and empowers us as we go. That is your reality. And the question that I have that I want it to hang in the air this morning is, are you eager? Do you have the zeal and excitement that comes from the thankfulness and humility that you didn't deserve any of that? But as we dwell and spend time in thankfulness, zeal builds, excitement builds. The more I understand how broken I am and how undeserving I am, the more excited and thankful I can be because none of us should be in this room and we are. So let's grow in thankfulness together. And as we grow in thankfulness, let's grow in excitement to commune with God together, to pray and be thankful and, and just know that all good gifts come from him. Let's be excited to be together as a family, as a, as a body of Christ with different gifts, mutually blessing one another. And let's be excited to go on God's mission together. I want to leave us this morning as we build an eagerness with just a vision from Paul's disposition here. And a question, if we can just capture this for a moment. 
Look at how he talks this entire intro. His disposition is humble. It's thankful to God for what he's, what's been done and what he's doing. It's, thank, it's, it's thankful and humble. It's prayerful. It's ready. It's expecting blessing, right? So what if this morning our disposition as we go to be Christians in this world and as a family of God will be one of humility and thankfulness? What if we were a prayerful people who want more and more and more of Jesus? What if we were always ready to go, to share, to love, to serve the good news of the gospel? What if, and this is a crazy one, right? What if we walked around with the expectation of blessing from one another? That when I come here on Sunday, when I'm spending time in groups and in discipleship, when I'm hanging out with other believers, what if I was like, God, I expect you to bless this. I wonder what God will do when I show up and I'm around people with the gifts and the Holy Spirit in them. I expect God to bless this moment. Paul expected blessing. What if we did from one another? to embody all of that on top of the solid rock, the base, the foundation that is Christ, his good news, the euangelion, the gospel, all of it is founded on that. It's the way of rescue for the skeptic. It's the way of hope for the believer. So join me, church, in eagerness, excitement, and zeal for what God has done and what he plans to do in our city and in the world. Let's pray together. Father, we need more of you. We need more of you this morning. We need more of you tomorrow. And as we go, we need more of you. So Lord, increase the depths and the richness of our communion with you and our time with you. Spirit, help us when our minds are distracted and we feel weak and the temptations and the, and the distractions of this world so easily try to grab our chin and redirect, Lord, grab our hand and lead us towards your heavenly goodness in those moments. Lord, increase the depth of connection and communion with each other in this church. Let our church experience family like it never has. All the good that we have now, Lord, and I constantly am thankful to you for the blessing of this church and the goodness, but Lord, I want more. I want more blessing. I want more exchanging of gifts in the body. I want to see a more outpouring of the Spirit's work in our body. Lord, do that, please. And God, empower us and give us discernment, wisdom, and direction on where and when and how to go and spread the good news of your gospel everywhere we go. And as we examine those things, Lord, and, and you do that work in us, keep us humble, keep us thankful, and build in us excitement and zeal and celebration over what you've done. Lord, we love you. So God, as we go to the table, remind us of how we got here. Remind us of why we're here and what we're called to do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're a